Welcome to Inside the Founder Studio. We're a podcast dedicated to uncovering the grit that make founders, entrepreneurs, and innovative thinkers tick in one of the most crucial industries on the planet, supply chain. To learn more, you can check us out at InsideTheFounderStudio.com. But for now, let's hand it to our host, Ryan Schreiber. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Inside the Founders Studio. I'm Ryan Schreiber. Uh, Today's guest, when I started thinking about this podcast, there were three people that immediately I said, like, I have to have these folks on. And Ted Alling, our guest today, was was one of them that, that first came to mind. So I'm really excited to have you here. Ted, you're a founder, a board member, an investor, a leader, an educator. I, I, I personally think that maybe Chattanooga Prep is the coolest thing that you're doing. <laughs> um, it kind of depends on how you know Ted. Uh, or like how you came across Ted to know what he's famous for. So thanks for joining me, Ted. Just given everything that you're in, why don't, um, you know, for anybody who doesn't know you, maybe do your own introduction because I want to hear how you would do it. Yeah, that's interesting. So uh, I am a dad of three kids. Um, I've got a wonderful wife. We are uh, having our 20th wedding anniversary next month. Oh, congratulations. um, Which is really, really... um, Something I hold dear to my heart, trying to be a good husband. Um, yeah, I've got a 16-year-old daughter, 14-year-old son, and 10-year-old son. And, uh, you know, I feel really lucky being a dad. Um, so I, I grew up in Birmingham. I had a really all-star dad growing up. Um, my dad's 72. And an incredible mom. Uh, my mom is uh, about to be 70. And... They're based in Birmingham. My dad is an oral surgeon, and my mom is a nurse. And uh, I've got two younger brothers. One just moved from L.A. to Nashville. Um, he is a te- he owns a tech recruiting firm called Mary's Group. He's doing a ton of – actually does a lot of logistics as well. Um, then i got a younger brother in Birmingham that's a um, medical salesperson for um, Stryker. But anyway, grew up in um, a town called Vestavia Hills. It's outside of Birmingham. Uh, learned a lot of good lessons there. Um, I think one thing I, I kind of tend to really lean back on a lot is just I kind of hit the lottery growing up with my parents. And the older I get, the more I realize just how, you know, being born on third base I really was. Um, and so uh, really great parents that worked really hard and gave me all the opportunities I could have in life. And so I'm really grateful for that, for um, for what they gave to me. But I think that the lessons I really learned from my parents, one, um, my dad, every night he calls his uh, patients. He's an oral surgeon, so he pulls wisdom teeth. And, um, you know, I never forget, I can see him right now in his front room calling each patient. And if he knew who they were, he would literally drive to their house and go check on them. And so I think I just grew up thinking that was normal. I don't know how many, Ryan, how many doctors you have call you after your uh, visits. Probably not many or even show up at your house. And so um, it just really was for me a lesson of just like caring more about things. Um, And so um, I was a real kind of mediocre student, um, really below average athlete. I played football and wrestled. Uh, I played football for one of the best all-time. He's actually the most all-time winning coach in Alabama history. And uh, Bear Bryant. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) No, yeah. Uh, basically, he, he basically is the Bear Bryant. Um, but I think I learned a lot. Just I was um, – it was interesting. I was at a chat prep basketball game the other day, and I saw a, a kid that I really like kind of riding the pine, and I really identified it with that. Um, I spent a lot of time cheering on my teammates. I wasn't definitely – I was a lineman, left guard, and, um, you know, was never really the star of the team, but I really um, – embraced like you know the team effort and you know how many linemen can you name in the nfl like barely any right and that job is just so important um that i think it was just a really good learning um uh piece of uh my journey that i that i learned a lot from so i had a you know the advisor for my last business um he won it's i think one of the the um the best compliments i've ever received he said that I can't like you were talking about your dad. He's like, he's like, Ryan, you care and you mm-hmm. underestimate 
you underestimate how much caring is a superpower and how m- so many people like, you know, right. They, they care enough. They care to a level, but like, mm-hmm. they don't, they're not, their heart and soul isn't in it. And like your dad, mm-hmm. you know, and it sounds like, you know, you talking about cheering on your team, you're like that glue, you know, they call it the glue guys on the rosters. Oh yeah. You know, right. they're not the starters. They're probably, they're not even the backups usually. Right. But right. they're the glue guys. They're the guys that work extra hard in practice or, you know, are really there to cheer their teammates up. They're the first ones on the field to say, to pat the kicker on the helmet when he misses a big one. Like, hey, man, no big deal. Go get the next one. Mm. So I think that's super interesting. Yeah. Um, you played. You played. Uh, you played sport. You played a couple of sports. So we're di- diving right into to how you grew up and stuff. And we'll. I yeah. guess we'll come back to. We'll yeah. come back to the, the growing up part or the uh, the career part. Any other like sports? Did you have any other hobbies? You said you weren't a very uh, think, good student. You know, What'd you do with your time? You know, it was real interesting. I think um, I worked. I always liked making money. Um, I worked at a gas station and um, in high school, and I I, I really liked it. Um, and it's really interesting. I was thinking about coming on here and something. And it's funny. I listen to a lot of podcasts and stuff like that. But my dad had back then some Tony Robbins tapes. You remember that he used to sell them online yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And I would sit in that gas station at night and listen to a lot of those tapes. And I really think a lot of that shaped who I was, kind of the self-improvement um, type mindset. Because, you know, I was very just okay in school. Like, literally, I graduated, like, dead middle of my class. And I think I got into business and, like, even work in the gas station, um, which was, you know – which I really liked. I liked, you know, I took a lot of, I took a weird pride in having like the cleanest bathrooms. And what did you um, like? What did you like about it? Like, what do you, do you have I, a sense of what? I, liked, um, I just liked the feeling of people saying like, man, I come in here cause the bathrooms are clean and I get good service, you know? And it was just a lot of that is inherently, you know, I tr- you know, I'm a positive person. I get a lot of that from uh, my, my, my parents. And, um, so yeah, I just got a lot of good feedback on trying to like give really great service. And um, so that just kind of like who I kind of was and I had a really, you know, a, a big motor to work hard. So, um, so yeah, so went to, went to um, through high school, I uh, went to college at Samford. I sometimes say it quick so people think Stanford, but it's Samford. It's a great school in Birmingham. I encourage a lot of people to go there. Um, was really involved in uh, my fraternity, and um, that's where I met my two co-founders at Access America. And um, so we really took our fraternity way too serious. Um, like one of my partners, like would just skip class because he was like scheming on, you know, whatever we were working on at the time. I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to be saying this. But, yeah, right. So. Exactly. Yeah, we're going off script here. Um, no, no, it's a, I don't mind. I, just, <laughs> I, I don't know if it was Barry or not, but I don't know that yeah, they right. appreciate it. But so, we, uh, but it, it, and I tell this story a lot. But like our junior year in college, we, and this was like '99. This is like before, like you know, the social network when like Mark Zuckerberg came out that movie and like oh, tech startup and Y Combinator tech stars. Yeah. And so I think we just wanted to start a business together. And um, at the time, we talked about Smoothie King was a franchise that kind of was hot in Birmingham. And um, we ended up, um, we thought that Chattanooga would be the perfect place because they were both from Chattanooga. And I was kind of ready to get out of Birmingham. And so um, we looked into that and then we just decided not to. In fact, I met my wife my senior year. We were RAs, resident assistants, and we met and... uh, you know, we all, she was like, this is probably not a good idea. And thankfully she probably said that. Um, and so then right out of school, I took a job with C.H. Robinson. And I, all right, wait, slow, slow down, slow down, slow down. We'll get there. We'll, we'll yeah. get into the career part in a minute. Right, That's fine. cool. That's cool. Smoothie. I love Smoothie King, by the way. I mean, uh, it was big. And yeah, uh, that's right around when I was as, uh, a senior in high school. And uh, mm. so I remember that time and Smoothie Kings were like blowing up in Tampa too. So um, I don't know that I ever started – do you, remember starting a, do you remember the go-to? What'd you drink? Do you remember that? I mean, back then, now they've gotten really complicated. I mean, back then, <laughs> I think it was just like strawberry banana. 
probably. You know, or something like that. You know, now you got to pick. I hadn't been, you know, living in Chicago for 12 years. Like, you know, I never saw a Smoothie King. Then then I went down to, to uh, Fayetteville to, to meet with Hunt. And there was one there. I got real excited. So I went into the Smoothie King, first Smoothie King in probably 15 years. And they were asking me 75 questions about mix-ins and this kind of stuff. And I was like, I don't, can I just get like a regular strawberry banana and like just go on with my life? And that wasn't really an option anymore. But what was yeah. yours? Do you remember? Uh, the, I love the Immune Builder. Uh, that was the one I liked. And now my son, uh, my 14-year-old, loves it. And he likes the banana. So, yeah, that's uh, – <laughs> uh, that uh, Smoothie King and Pita Pit fall into the same. Did you guys have Pita Pit? No, uh-uh. I remember uh, that. So when I got into college, Pita Pit, like you know, so I, I'm only a few years behind you, right? So I started mm-hmm. college in '02, and you graduated in 2000, mm-hmm. right? So um, you know, it just blew up, right? Like it was it, it, that. That's when it was getting really huge. And uh, anybody who's seen me on camera knows I'm fat and or has met me in life. Yeah. And so I, I went on Atkins in college because that's when oh, Atkins yeah. was real big. So I ate Pita Pit. Two meals a day for like three years, but uh, and I would still eat it. By the way, chicken Caesar salad is like my jam. But uh, hey, where'd you, you know, go to school? I went to the University of South Florida in Tampa. That's right. Okay. And then I went to Michigan State. Uh, so that's that's the Michigan State connection. All right. So so you were growing up outside of your. You know, you said I I didn't realize how much I was kind of born on third base until I got older, and I think that's a really interesting observation. I, I, sim- I feel very, very similarly about my life. Not that this is about mm-hmm. me, but the older I've gotten it, but I think it's a, it's a common maxim, right? Like the older I get, the smarter my parents were. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a lot, there's a lot of truth in that. Um, you know, I, I was, were you the kind of person who was like never home, you know, for, for exactly <laughs> kind of that, that reason? Like I was, I was always at somebody else's house. Like I didn't, I didn't really spend my time at home. Was that you? No, that, you know, it's okay. weird. Uh, and I was telling my kids this other day, we had, my parents did a great job of finishing out our basement, had a pool table and ping pong table. Oh, cool. And so we were the house to crash at. And literally, I'm not making this up. My friends would come over and be like, hey, uh, is your dad around? I'm, see, I'm like, my dad's not cool. What are y'all, what are y'all talking about? Like, hey, same thing. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, y'all are serious? You want to hang out with my dad? But he's the type guy, he... Uh, he did a, uh, we would go like, go to like out in the country and watch like, you know, backyard racing. And he was actually a cut man for a while for a boxer. And so we would load up in my dad's, my mom's van and go like, watch this guy named the road warrior, get his face punched in. And my dad's like working on him in the corner. But that was like, I've got to do more of that with my own kids. Cause that was just like experiences that you'll never forget. Yeah, I, I've been so, you know, this year, not to make this about me again, but like oh, this yeah. year, you know, being from Tampa, right, this year has been a great sports year for Tampa, but, yeah. it's, but it's also been very wistful, right? Because like when we went, to, you know, when the Bucks won the world, uh, won the Super Bowl in 2003, I was there with my dad. You know, when the Lightning won the Stanley Cup in 2004, I was there with my dad. And That's now funny. I'm in, you know, now I'm in Texas. My dad's still in Florida. Like, luckily, my parents are still alive and still, you know, yeah. doing okay. But, you know, there was this wistfulness of like, at the time, I was young enough where I didn't appreciate that mm-hmm. experience, right? Like, right. and now it's like, God, I would, I would do, you know, I, I just, God, I wish we could be there together and share that. You know, I went to the Rose Bowl with my grandfather. This will stay with me forever. A big Miami Hurricanes fan. My grandfather went to the Miami, he went to the University of Miami. And, you know, when they played Nebraska in the Rose Bowl in 2002, I went with my grandfather, who's passed away now. You know, he passed away a few years ago. And somebody asked us if we wanted to take a picture together. And he kind of looked at me and I was like, oh, you know, it's okay because I didn't want to burden the person. I'll never have that picture now. You know, Mm -hmm. we got the experience. I'll have the memories. It was an incredible, you know, trip. But um, anyway, so I, I know what you mean in terms of of like kind of of wanting to, you know, looking back on that and not necessarily having that appreciation. Other than your, like, so, you know, you, you said, well, my dad's not really that cool. Did you look up to anybody when you were a kid? I mean, was there, was there like, maybe not, it doesn't have to be family, but was there, you had this internal drive. I've heard you say like, you're, you know, you, you wanted, you liked to care and you like to be recognized for caring, which I think is interesting. Did that, you know, was that, was there somebody you really wanted to, if they came in and patted you on the back and said, Ted, great job. Do you feel like you made it? Yeah, one would be that football coach I mentioned. And I could like quote, I think about his, his name was Buddy Anderson, but we had these buddyisms. 
And he would just say things that stuck with me forever. If you lay down with dogs, you're going to get fleas. Yeah. Um, so just really making sure you surround yourself with, you know, nines or tens. So that's that kind of stuck with me. Um, no, not really. I, I do remember once. I remember once. It's weird. I just remember this, like going to one of my dad's friends who had this really neat lake house and a nice big house. And I was like, wow, that's this is like cool. I would love to have a house like this one day on a lake. And he said, Rock, people used to make fun of me for working on Saturdays. And so weirdly, I remember that from mid middle school. It's like, huh, okay, gotcha, check. You want something like that? You got to work harder than everyone else and do things and be uncommon. And so um, I think- Do what that, other people won't. Is, yeah, right? Do what other people it. won't. And so, but there wasn't like a, there's not like, oh, this guy, you know, my parents, you know, we had we had money, but it, I, would, I didn't really even know it. I mean, we lived in a very, you know, just kind of average middle-class house and didn't do anything too, ex, you know, extra, extravagant growing up. So both my parents from Indiana, just, you know, very mid, my what both if, army family. So um, very just kind of service-minded folks. What about now? I mean, like, are there, you, you, you've, I mean, like by so many measures, Ted, you've made it. I'm sure you have the lake house now. I mean, access America, that yeah. deal, I'm sure. You know, are there, are there, is there somebody you're trying to improve, you, but you're still working hard. Like you're still out there. You're still making a difference. You do a ton for Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. You know, are, is there somebody that now you want to be, you want yeah, to say you want them to pat you on the back and say, "Chet, yeah, it's, it's, it'd be really weird people that are just kind of in my life that um, don't really haven't really made it." Um, I mean, everything I kind of do, I'm very big, um, and I talk a lot about this whole time. But the school my wife and I started—that's kind of our everything at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just, I'm really having a lot of. Um, intentional conversations with a lot of my white friends that don't have a lot of diversity in their with their friend group. And so Kelly and I, my wife are having these conversations with folks being like, Hey, you know, you can see how it's, it might be harder um, kind of be African American in, in America than white. And that leads to a lot of like <laughs> deeper conversations about things. And, you know, you don't want your zip code to kind of, um, you know, I'm really big into school choice. I think if um, um, if you're born, you know, in certain zip codes, you, you just don't have the same opportunities. Uh, like, there's a lot of failing schools yeah. in certain places, and you know, you're you've lived in Chicago, and um, you know, if you're born in a certain part of Chicago, your chances of of making out aren't very high. Um, there's some schools here locally, and I don't know if you remember the ACT or not. Um, but like the average ACT at some of these failing schools is like a 13, mm. the average. So yeah. you have, you have no shot. Um, and I heard a stat. If you start ninth grade at one of these schools, the chances that you graduate with a four year university, four year degree is one third of 1%. Mm. Wow. So one, if you start a school in ninth grade, one out of 300 kids is going to graduate from a four year university. So that just looked a lot different than my, experience. Right. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it's, that's interesting. It's, it's almost that, um, it's almost that, uh, you're really kind of what motivates you now is, is, is these kids coming back to you in a few years and saying, million percent. it's without my wife said the day they come back and introduce us to their family and are talking about their job that they have, like, that's it. You know, and saying, I know, I, I, I know I couldn't have done it without you kind of thing. Yeah. And that's who you're trying to impress. And like, it's, 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 uh, that's interesting. So yeah. we'll get, let, get a little bit into your, uh, starting to get a little bit into your career. Uh, you came out of school, you didn't start Smoothie King. <laughs> so you joined, you were at Robinson. Looks like you were only Robinson for like two years. Yeah. I was before there. Before you jumped yeah. into Access America. Yeah. Started in Birmingham and then I got transferred to Nashville. Um, had a great, great experience there. I, I kind of quickly knew that I wasn't going to stay there, though. Um, just the corporate culture just wasn't what I was really looking for. In fact, and I told Jeff Silver this. Um, when I was there, they acquired American Backballers. And I remember talking to those people on the phone. I'm like, whoa, something sounds different in their voice um, than the people that I, that I was working with. Um, just more energy. And um, I will say I started a 
one of the hardest things I've ever done. I started refrigerated LTL division. I mean, you talk about hard. That was the most insane. So we would go out and find local shippers in Nashville that were shipping a couple, like a couple pallets of fish, mm-hmm. pallets of chicken, plants, chocolate. And you would cons- you get a local truck to go pick up all the little LTLs, bring it to a cold storage, and CH had bought a division um, in Minneapolis. I can't remember what they're called. But they would help you build the loads. And then I'd have to book the trucks, like from Chattanooga, I mean, Nashville to like, you know, whatever, Phoenix. And it'd have stops in Mississippi and Louisiana, right. Texas. And then I have to make the appointments with McLean's and, you know, Walmart or whatever. And it was like, you'd have like a load with like nine drops, but you had like 40 grand, like not that much, 30 grand in revenue on the truck. But the truck would take a week to deliver it. Right. You'd have claims. Anyway, and uh, I kind of did that. That was a, I mean, it, it, that helped give me confidence though, being like, damn, I kind of made up a lot of this stuff and it worked out pretty well. Like we, we got it going. It was a profit center for our branch. And um, so anyway, no, I, I, you know, I think I'll, I'm so thankful for CH Robinson for giving me that opportunity and man, they just continue to grow and, you know, yeah. and that, that stock has done well for a long time. So yeah, not a- for me, but like when I seem to buy it, it goes down, but that's <laughs> not the point. Uh, maybe they just know that I'm buying it, but you know, um, so before you like, so, so before access, you know, you had, you talked a lot about like a lot of hard work, a lot of kind of like, you know, grinding it out. You were never like, you were never, you know, you were never the top of anything, you know, really, I suppose, except for cleaning the bathrooms, but you know, you, you, you had this. <laughs> You know, right. You were, you were, you were a lot of a role player, but you took pride in that. It sounded like, right. And everything kind of you did in your friend group though, it sounds like you were kind of the leader, but did you have before access? I mean, did you have any big, any, anything that sticks with you that was like, did you ever been fired? Any big failures that kind of stick with you that when you look back at that time that you learned from, or was it kind of smooth sailing? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, it was pretty smooth sailing looking okay. back. All like, right, cool. Like, I'm like, nothing like really stuck out. You didn't have that Michael Jordan moment like I got cut nah, from the high school basketball nah. team? I mean, okay. listen, I, was just, I was just like a normal dude. I wasn't like, you know, I wasn't. I mean, like some girl you really liked that shot you down? Nothing? Well, yeah, tons of girls. Oh, my God. Okay, yeah. okay. All right. Mega okay. girls there for a long time. Uh, yeah, trust me. All right, we'll move on Hard from that then. Stomped on and thrown out the window for sure. Uh, so you had, you had two co-founders at access, mm-hmm. Barry and, and who was your other, and Alan, Alan. right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you met them in college. Were they both at, at Robinson as well? Like what no, did they do so before access? Alan, um, he worked at, uh, he was trying to start a movie theater in Birmingham, uh, after college and he was kind of waiting tables and Barry had moved home. His family owned a local brick distributor in Chattanooga. And he was kind of like helping run the books there. He's, he is, I mean, he was CFO, but like in college, you know, he was reading the Wall Street Journal and um, just really big brain guy. Both of them are like, I, I could patent being the dumbest person in the room, honestly. Like, Isn't I'm that always so what you want, though? Personally, oh, man, that's what I'm I am like, literally, and I'm okay with it. That's, I mean, I'm fine to be the dumbest person in the room. Um, but Barry is very smart financially. He makes just incredible decisions. Him and I talk a lot. You know, if I didn't have him, I'd be like in a gutter probably outside, like <laughs> trying to make it. And he was like, I would be managing a very nice small amount of money, like a little nice little pile. Um, and so the two of us, worked really well. Alan is kind of, he's more a uh, computer programmer-ish um, future. I mean, he got big in a singularity. If you're familiar with that, Ray Kurzweil, he went out and did that executive program. Um, yeah. He's always thinking about next trends and forward thinking crazy stuff. Uh, and so that, and he really understood technology. And so that was, the three of us had a pretty, and he's, he's very process operations oriented. So the three of us made a really neat team. We had the three stool legs to make a good. You know. So the one, the the quote one fraternity brother who was quote way too into it. It was you. 
Yeah. Probably. Uh, yeah. Okay. You just, you kind of, you kind of just uh, told, tattled on yourself there. Yeah. You know, so they were, you know, they were in these other industries. What made y'all say in 2004, two years into your career, you know, presumably pretty early in their careers, those other things as well, that access was the thing to do. You know, I, I was still doing the refrigerated thing and at CH and I came to Chattanooga on some sales calls and there was a, local fish company here and then me and Barry grab lunch. And I just started cause we were just buds and kind of told him what I was doing. And he was like, Hey, we got all these brick loads mm-hmm. coming into our plant here. And I'm like, well, I've never done flatbed. Um, you know, and he's just like, well, you know, let me talk to my dad. So his dad seed funded us and my wife and I just had built a house in Nashville and I came home and I, and I look back to, cause I know a lot of folks, I coach a lot of folks and talk to folks. I was lucky. My father-in-law is also an entrepreneur because a lot of, you know, spouses can be not supportive and be like, no, yeah. we're not taking that risk. We just bought a house. You can't do this, you know? And so my wife had grown up with a dad that had taken risks. And so, man, that was like huge. So her and I, I said, honey, this is an opportunity that, you know, we got to do, we're young and we have nothing to lose. We don't have any kids yet. And, um, you know, so we, um, we jumped, we, we moved to Chattanooga. We sold our house and made it happen. And, um, Barry's dad gave us a tiny little room and, um, you know, I just said, I set really big goals for the company early. Just, I don't know. It was like, no way this thing is failing. Um, we've got to like, I'm, I got to support my wife and you know, my best friend. And so it just started in a really small room. And, um, but the first thing I really, and I, and I remember even thinking this and saying it, but like I said, you know, I want to be the best place in America to work. And I like really meant it. Um, I'd saw some way some people talk to drivers at, at CH and just the, uh, the people there that just didn't have the full effort that, um, mm-hmm. I thought I was putting in. And, you know, I, and there's some great people there. I'm not to bash them or what anything. They were great friends and people still working there that are doing awesome. But um, and so anyway, we just we just wanted to care more and give like a white glove service. And I literally told Barry, I was like, Barry, this I want to be a hundred million dollar company. Like literally said that. And um, he was like, okay, psychopath, you know, let's, let's see what you can do. Let's just and get so, this load of bricks out of here first. Yeah. I was like, yeah, using me, they kind of, talked me into probably being their logistics coordinator. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Wait a minute. Uh, so anyway, it was, um, you know, it was a great story. And my wife and I on the weekends, I mean, we literally would go to truck stops and knock on doors and like hand out cards, literally passing out cards. Hey man, this truck looks awesome. You know, where are you headed? Oh, cool. Call me for a backhaul. I mean, like that type stuff. I mean, I can remember some of my first cares I dealt with. I freaking met out of truck stops. And um, so it was very, um, it's not very scalable, but we hired a lot of really neat people uh, early on. I um, had a friend, you know, named Rob Farber who came on and, uh, you know, the day kind of Chad Eichelberger showed up, the game changed. Um, and then we recruited Steve Cox, who's, um, who's really, he ran our Minneapolis office and in five years he grew it from two people to 170 and 200 million in sales. So it was, um, it was a wild ride. I mean, like, you know, I could talk about that a lot, but it was, it back was really. That, so back in that room, you and Barry, you know, you said failure kind of wasn't an option. Mm-hmm. You had these big goals, but how, you know, you said, I want to be a hundred million dollar company. So would 50 million have been a failure? Like if you'd only ever gotten to 50, I mean, that's right. a good living, right? I mean, you're probably clearing two and a half million to the, you know, you're taking home a million. He's taking home a million. You have five hundred thousand to invest back in the business. Like, would that have been failure? Uh, you know, I think at some point I told some chat prep kids this yesterday. You've got to just set goals so big that it makes other people laugh. And I heard that somewhere, and uh, maybe Grant Cardone or someone. And so we just set really bold, audacious, audacious goals. And I really believe it. Like I'm a bit delusional. Uh, that we can hit those things. I didn't think about it that deeply, I guess. And so we just kind of throw out something really major that kind of, you know, I think a CEO kind of has three things they're supposed to do. 
First, CEOs are supposed to set the vision and mission of the company. Like, this is who we are. Really understand your values and what the mm-hmm. values and values. Uh, you know, culture is just the values of the people represented at a company. Okay, mm-hmm. and so first, the CEO says, uh, "This is who we are." They got to know really deeply who they are. And a lot of the best startups I see really work on that. And I do a lot of early stage investing. And I love when people are really thoughtful about um, setting up culture, even before like finding, booking their first sale. They kind of know who they are and who the type of people they want to recruit. It's just, I mean, I really think those are the special companies. Um, You know, great companies have soul. Um, Like you feel it. And you, you see it when you go to certain businesses, like, a, you know, obviously Chick-fil-A's and Costco's, and you kind of feel that from different people. Yeah. But yeah. the CEO is supposed to set the vision and mission for the company. Second, that's number one. Number two, you hire the most ambitious, hardest working, loyal, just passionate people you can find. So you have to find nines and tens, like when you're starting a business. And so you set the vision. Here's who we are. Hire these freaking awesome people, and third, keep them happy. And so I just find myself a lot now. I'm, I'm tr- I have to try to manage a lot of relationships. I'm on a lot of boards, and I'm making sure we have great leadership there. And then I'm just, you good? You good? Are we good? All right, are we good? You know, just kind of making sure people are kind of staying happy uh, with their situation, and you got to align incentives and that sort of thing. And um, so that's a lot of what me and, and Barry and Alan do right now is just is trying to. Um, make sure we find some great leaders and give them the tools to be successful. So, you know, t- take me to maybe a, a, it didn't necessarily have to be early days, but um, sometime during Access America where you guys had something come up where you were just plain lucky and whether it was like going to sink the ship and you got out of it somehow, you were just plain lucky or, you know, you mentioned Chad coming along and changing the game, right? Like you, Chad, Chad is is an incredible person, leader. Like, I mean, he's he's unbelievable. To anybody who doesn't know Chad Eichelberger at Reliance, is look him up. He's just amazing. Uh, but but you know what? What's a time when you guys best laid plans of mice and men, and you were just plain lucky, and you were able to keep going? Oh yeah, there's tons, Ryan. Like, um, you know, you have somebody find you through. SEO, like a huge client found a SEO, like search and optimization stuff. I'm like, holy crap, that was too big. Um, we lucked into getting some business with Komatsu locally. And we ended up, I was pitching them one thing. And they were like, at the time, they wanted to... Um, we had an idea. We kind of collaborated. Had an idea. They were making locally these excavators in Chattanooga, mm-hmm. these huge excavators, and they wanted to ship them. They had to ship some to Asia, and to truck one from Chattanooga to Seattle, where the port was, it was like you know, it's oversized loads of twenty five grand, right? Yeah, right, right. We figured out on a flat car you could put two of these on BNSF, rail it out there. It took two weeks. You had to, well, first you had to get a local guy, put it on. We found a, a rigger that would rig mm-hmm. them on 80 foot flat cars. You could literally rail one 80 foot car. And we put two excavators on there for like 12 grand. Okay. And so like, imagine that cost savings. That's a big difference. Right? Yeah. That's a big difference, right? It 12, you know, that's a what? 12, 50 K for two of them to go over the road and 12K for two of them to go on the rail. Right. It's what, 38,000? It looks funny that I remember through St. Louis, a lot of them would get banged up. Like people throw rocks through them or graffiti them sometimes. Um, but anyway, but that getting Hopefully in no with, one in this, hopefully nobody from St. Louis will be listening to this podcast. Right. Well, that's what, like, the rail, that's what the rail. talking shit about, yeah. That's what the rail people told me. I'll never forget yeah. that. Um, so anyway, we, um, we got... Komatsu led to us getting in Caterpillar, which I'm sitting in there with Chad and Steve. We still talk about this. You know, we were in there with like eight of their executives. And I mean, it felt like just they were shooting machine guns at us. And, you know, we were a tiny company that, at that time. And they knew, I think they actually accessed their financials. They knew we were small, but we sold so hard. And uh, 
you know, we got in the, I, I can't remember the number, Chad or Steve would remember, but they was like, yeah, first year we want to give you all like 12 million business. We're like, oh, my gosh. you know, we're like, like a $20 million company or something at the time. And, but it was just like, yeah, it was, you know, we shouldn't have been in there. I mean, uh, you know, we're the type of people you, you jump in, you know, over your head and swim like hell. And so that's kind of what we've been able to do a lot is just um, get some of these big accounts and, and work our tails off and, and try to, um, you know, make it happen. So being an investor, you know, my, rec- my reflection is being an investor is kind of a lot like being a baseball player, right? Because like if you strike out fewer than seven times out of every 10 plate appearances, like you're going to be a Hall of Fame investor. You're going to be a Hall of Fame baseball player. I'm super curious, like being an investor and being a board member and having the relationships you have with companies now, do you think about success and failure differently? Like what does failure mean to you now as an investor versus, you know, your first days at Access America where you said, hey, you, you, you know, failure is not an option. I'd imagine that's not how you think about it yeah, now. Yeah, right? no, it's definitely different. I mean, and if I have my Dynamo hat on, um, for me, and we, the four partners have different ways we look at things. Um, I feel like you got to have a, three things for me. You got to have a charismatic CEO. It's got to be somebody that um, really can sell because you got to be able to sell to get employees. Mm-hmm. You got to get customers and you got to raise money. So you got to have somebody that's got that quality to get people to trust and, and take chances on. So that's the first thing. Second, um, in the way like the fund wor- world works, I mean, you gotta you have to be able to like this has got to be like you know a huge business. Like you know we can't we can't invest in lifestyle stuff because our LPs will get mad at us. So we've got to like shoot for it's got to be a hundred million dollar plus business, mm-hmm. right? And third. Um, for me, it's like, can our Dynamo team bring value? Like, I don't want to invest in stuff that like none of the four of us can't help out with at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That doesn't make sense. But it's also like, I think that middle bucket is huge. It's got to be a huge uh, industry problem or opportunity. And, and that probably I've, makes failure more likely, right? Sure, right. And then sometimes, right. And sometimes we're like, it's got to be crazy that like, you know, we've seen some ideas where like, man, this is wild. Um, you know, no one's ever done this. And we should probably pl- place some bets on that stuff that doesn't really make sense a lot of times. Um, maybe one know. of the maybe one of the placards I can see behind you would be a good example of that. But uh, that's, that's showing up right there. That's that's an interesting that's certainly an interesting take is like be, you know, take some swings take some swings that don't make sense and and you're sort of more in a position to do that. Do you, how do you counsel, do you counsel founders on how to think about failure? I do a lot of uh, more founder dynamic stuff and that's, you know, that's a whole nother topic of All right. trying to have them not kill each other most of the time. Um, just counseling, I mean, it's just a lot of stress and pressure. I mean, it is like you've, you've put everything on the line and you know, there's just a lot of founder dynamics that are tough. And so you've got to be, you got to have a lot of trust with each other and it's, it's a stressful deal and depression is real. And um, you know, it doesn't make sense for you to want to go do something like that. Like it's very sexy and glamorous to be a founder and, be on TechCrunch and raise that money. And then like you're laying up wide eyed at two in the morning thinking like, holy crap, I've got payroll and we don't have any customers and my tech's not built and I'm going to kill my co-founder because they're not working hard as me. So I, we do a lot of just like checking okay. and trying to like help them through that. You, um, you know, you talked earlier when you were talking about Chattanooga prep, which um, for those who don't know, Chattanooga prep is an all boys uh, school there in Chattanooga primarily focused on inner city, right. And, and giving, giving inner city uh, kids an uh, opportunity to, to, you know, to learn and to kind of, as you said, get out of those failing, maybe school environments. Um, you mentioned that a lot of what, you know, you, uh, through your experience with that, 
it, it lends itself to a lot of conversations around privilege. You didn't use the word privilege, but privilege. Um, and, and so, you know, my observation a lot of times, you know, one of, one of the goals of this podcast is to kind of demystify, demystify success and failure and, 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 and help folks feel comfortable with, you know, imposter syndrome so that they'll take some chances and they'll do some things. And so one of my, one of my observations is that, you know, folks, folks hold themselves back because they look at successful people like you or like Kevin Nolan, who is one of my interviews already. And, and they say, well, it was easy for Ted because he had all of these tailwinds, right? Mm -hmm. He had all these tailwinds that were, that, that, that made him destined to be successful, of course he was like, right. Mm-hmm. You, you, you're, you and your brothers are the Aria, you know, you're the Emanuels like Ari Emanuel and Rahm Emanuel of the, mm-hmm. of, of the, of Birmingham, mm-hmm. you know? And so, but, but uh, that's probably not true. Like you probably had some headwinds, right. And, 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 and maybe you didn't have the types of headwinds that you were burned on third base, but you still had to get home. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so you, you know, you weren't standing in the batter's box, like maybe some of the kids who go to Chattanooga prep. So I, I, mm-hmm. I set all of that up to say, you know, did you have headwinds that you had to come through? Yeah. Or maybe one of those. And, and how did you kind of rationalize that to yourself and, and really push through? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's interesting. I listen to a lot of podcasts like Tim Ferriss and Joe Rogan and stuff like that. And if you start listening to those guests that he has on there, most of them don't have scenarios like I did. Mm-hmm. Most came from nothing and struggle. Like I, I think a lot, and I think even like my own kids and a lot of your listeners' kids are like, um, you kind of have to almost manufacture struggle now. And, um, because you got to go through adversity and you got to learn how to work hard and dream big because it's easy, you know, with these computers and phones and um, distractions, I think the, I think kids today, and I'm like, I'm the biggest phone addict, you know, like I'm so addicted to my phone. It's insane. But it's like the amount of time that um, kids are getting on these things. And if, I'm sure you saw Social Dilemma. Did you see that Netflix? Oh, no. Man. Gosh, that's what you're going to do tonight. It's just the, the algorithms and what all of these social media companies are doing to our brains is is nuts and how um, we're just lab rats basically um, just want to get another hit dopamine. Totally. Hit. Totally. Yeah. And so I don't know, man. Um, you know, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, w- I think I was just very, I was lucky to surround myself. I had good discernment on making good decisions. And also I think a lot of folks want to give me all the credit for stuff just cause I'm the loudest person in the room. Uh, but like, I'm dead serious. Like I could do nothing without my partners. Like it's a, it's embarrassing. I, it is total imposter syndrome. Like a lot of times I'm like, man, I shouldn't get all this credit. And I really worked hard. I tried, I think I did. I, you can ask Bear now. And I tried to like, if someone gave me a word, I'd be like, it's the three of us. Like, yeah. I don't want, these are my best friends. Like they're doing as much shit as I'm doing and thinking through these things. And so um, I think about trying to like, you know, the, the greatest coaches, you know, they take the they take the fall when something messes up and they give the credit to the team. And so when something good happens. And so I try to live my life that way and don't always do the best uh, job of it. And so um, it's, it's funny, even like chat prep, like chat prep was essentially my wife's idea, but people try to give me all the credit for it. I'm like, she is the one that had that idea. I'm just a lot louder than she is. Yeah. Um, but we're we're both in this thing together. Um, so anyway, that's uh, that's certainly interesting. You mentioned imposter syndrome, and imposter syndrome is a big thing that I think needs more sort of like light shined on it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I've said before to anyone who's listened to this podcast or seen me other places that like I I deal with it, and it might to your point about being the loudest person in the room. I'm pretty freaking loud, and. <laughs> yeah, you are. And people, you know, people might be surprised, you know, that, that, that I deal with that, that type of imposter syndrome, you know, from time to time, how, how, how do you, how have you dealt with that? Like, how do you work through that when you're feeling it? Um, hey, it you know, comes and how has it affected you? 
it comes up um, a fair amount, especially being involved in this VC world. Uh, I'm just, I don't have the brain power of a lot of these, um, you know, Ivy League types that are gotten into, you know, they're in VC world. Um, Just, they can process information really quick. And they also like, and I've seen this on other boards that I'm on, where they seem to just over talk to and can sound smart as hell. And they are smart. But it's like, you know, I'm like, you know, I feel like I've gotten some wisdom and experience growing stuff and they're saying stuff. And I'm like, yeah, you just, you sound smart, but you know, you're just talking to talk right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I see a lot of that stuff. Um, And so I, um, I definitely feel something like, golly, should I even be on this board for this company? Man, I'm like, again, I'm definitely the dumbest person in this room. Um, but I'm, you know, I kind of feel like the tortoise and the hare thing. I'm just going to keep trying to learn and just stick with it for like a long time. And and once I kind of get the feeling of like, okay, they're full of crap. Um, but they can make you kind of feel dumb sometimes. I think that there's a thread through. Yeah. It makes perfect sense to me. I'm going to sum it up kind of is like one of the threads that's carried through all the stuff you've talked about is you have strengths and you have weaknesses and in every conversation you're in, in every scenario you're in, in every situation you're in, you're, you understand, you have, a, you have an appreciation for the fact that like you're strong at certain things and you're weak at certain things. And when you're feeling imposter syndrome, mm. you look at every, you look at the people that, you know, are the, you know, are the, the in crowd where you're the imposter mm-hmm. and you just kind of like picture them in their underwear in a manner of speaking, right? You're like, well, they also have the same thing going on. And so maybe <laughs> that's yeah. right. Maybe they're stronger than me in some areas, but like, I, you know, they, they've just been investors. I've actually had to build these businesses. Mm-hmm. I have a, that's kind of what it sounds like to me. Is that, is that kind of like a good that's summation? Of no, what you're saying? I, I, I feel you and I, I definitely identify that. I'm glad you kind of clarified that there because that's, I feel quite a bit when you're feeling insecure about certain things. It's like. Picture them in their underwear. There you go. That's going to be a theme. Maybe I'll title this episode, Ted, picture them in their underwear. Oh, wow. um, last question for you. We only have a couple minutes left. Okay. And thanks a ton for sharing it with me. You know, the few times that you and I have been able to chop it up before, you, first of all, you've been incredible with your time with me. And you're just, you know, one of the things I think that it makes you special. And one of the reasons you were one of the three people I said I have to have on here is just your, like, your willingness to give back and say yes. You know, I, I cold emailed you a year ago and said, hey, Ted, I'm going to be in Chattanooga. I just would love to meet you. Mm-hmm. You spent an hour with me. We had coffee. You walked me around mm-hmm. to Reliance and some of the other businesses. And uh, like, what is just an incredible. So first of all, thank you. And I'd like to tell everyone else, like how, how grateful mm-hmm. I am that you did that. But we've always liked to chop it up about the industry. I mean, you you play in this field. You invest in this field. Mm-hmm. We have a good time chopping it up and talking about where things are going a topic you really love. Where do you think things are headed right now in, in, in supply chain logistics, freight tech? Yeah, I think, um, you know, one feels like our economy is, um, you know, I've talked to a lot of smart people that thinks kind of artificially inflated overall, mm-hmm. uh, just with the last year, what everything that's happened. Um, more of like the stock market, I'd assume, is, is really kind of inflated, it feels like. Uh, so buy Bitcoin is what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> no, what's a new one? Dodge or whatever? Do- Doge. Dogecoin. Yeah. Me and Tim Dooner. Dooner got me into it. Tim Dooner at Freightways got me into it. Yeah. So, you know, you're in a, you're I'm really just, I'm just doing it. I'm just doing it for Dooner. But okay. it's worked out <laughs> yeah. so far. There but anyway, go. go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No. So I think, um, I think our economy is definitely kind of overinflated a bit. Um, so I think there's going to be some um, pullback probably with it with the large stock, uh, large stocks. You know, I'm very bullish on our industry. Um, I'm seeing a lot of. Here's what I see: I see a lot of corporates um, under invest, logistics corporates under investing in their own um, IT infrastructure stuff. And so like a corporate, like a publicly traded company, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have like 40 projects, okay, for their staff, right? They're small programming totally. staff. 
And what we see at Dynamo is like number 17 and 34 and, you know, 26. Those are all like big businesses that other big publicly traded companies have problems with. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And some of these maybe trucking companies or supply chain companies, they're not getting the best and brightest Stanford, Georgia Tech. Totally. Whatever engineers to go work there. Like they're like, eh, you know, you graduate, you know, it's maybe a long shot to go get that great talent if you're a trucking company. Mm-hmm. And they're not excited to go do that. But what I'm seeing that what we're seeing is like some of these issues, we're like, wait, if that warehouse company and that trucking company all have that same number 18, sure. Yep. You can get good good talent will join a startup to take on an unsexy problem. Right. Uh, and so, again, I think um, freight tech continues to be hot. I think every company today has to be a tech company. Um, and so, I saw that with know. US Express is like earnings call. Like, right. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, how much were they? Cameron Ramsdale and I have been chatting a bunch. I really like oh, cool. him. I personally am very bullish on Variant. Again, not that this is about me, but I'm very bullish on what he's working yep. on. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you listen to their earnings call, a year ago at the Stiefel conference, and I wrote, a, I wrote an op-ed about this, a year ago at the Stiefel conference, you know, Eric Fuller standing up there saying, trucks are how we're going to win. We're going to add trucks. We're always going to add trucks, you know, whatever. And a year later, they're, try, mm-hmm. they're telling the tech story, right? Yeah. They're, telling how, they're telling the story about how they're a tech company now, not a trucking company. So that lands perfectly with what you're saying. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, we're, um, we continue to be bullish at, at our fund on, on what we're doing. And I, I'll tell you, I mean, it's just like, and, and, and these tech companies now just the world has changed, um, since the pandemic. I mean, it's people are hiring people anywhere and building startups with like, Oh, talk to a guy yesterday. He was in Sweden and his tech teams in Egypt and talked to another guy in Nashville who's, um, He's doing some uh, outsourcing to, um, I think it was Turkey. And so like the world has just got distributed and you don't have to be in San Francisco and the brain drain cities of New York and yeah. Chicago and Boston. And so people are like, oh, I'll hire a, you know, a CTO in Topeka, Kansas now. Wherever and the so- best talent is now, it's it, like mm-hmm. you remove those frictions and those barriers. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, and like even the deal flow we're seeing, I'm like, golly, this is tough. I mean, yeah. we're just like some ridiculous companies. Um, and I think the pandemic has just given everybody's just kind of like um, looked in the mirror and been like, okay, screw it. I'm going to go for it now. Like life's too short not to try to bet on myself. Yeah. Well, Ted, thanks for jumping on with me. I really, yeah. really appreciate it. This was a ton of fun. And until next time, man. Yeah, I appreciate man. Good it. To see you. Thanks for everything yeah. you're doing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Founders Studio. A couple quick things before you go. We're proudly hosted on the Logistics of Logistics Network. To hear more content from the industry's top leaders in supply chain and logistics, check out thelogisticsoflogistics.com. And until next time, onward and upward.